HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers. Learn more at square.com slash go slash in the sauce. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Daniel Sklar, founder of Fine and Raw Chocolate, the Brooklyn-based raw chocolate company focused on sustainable ingredient sourcing and minimal processing. Daniel started Fine and Raw in a Williamsburg loft in 2007 after he left the finance world and got into the raw food movement. He opened a factory in Bushwick five years later, and today Fine and Raw Chocolate processes approximately 25 tons of chocolate a year. Companies like Ralph Lauren, Nordstrom, and Rag and Bone collaborate with Fine and Raw to create special edition chocolates. Welcome, Daniel. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, so, are you at the factory right now? Are you in? Are you making chocolate? Yeah, as we speak? Yes. Yes. Well, uh, it, um, I, I mean, I'm not making chocolate, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but we we are. Yes. We, the when collective. I say you, I mean the royal yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The, the royal us. Um, um, right. So let's. Um, so you're in Brooklyn, and how are you doing? And are you? How are you weathering this pandemic of ours? Oh yeah. Um, we, I'm. I'm doing well, thank you. Um, uh, we have been building out. Uh, well, uh, the last say. 16 months, 16 to mm -hmm. 18 months, we've been building out a, um, a new chocolate factory. So mm. that 16 to 18 months felt like a, a, a mini crisis personal pandemic. <laughs> right. um, and yeah. um, uh, it, it's just really unfortunate that everyone else had to join our mini crisis personal <laughs> right. pandemic. But so, right. so, anyway. When did you move in? We moved... March 1st. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, you know, it's funny because you're doing well almost because you have this like fun new place that 
is like this thing you've been dreaming about for a year and a half, which can really fight against all of like the yucky feelings of being in the world at the moment. So that makes sense. Well, congratulations. That's, that's fun. I would love to be in a new fresh place right now. Yeah. uh, Thank you. Okay. So let's back up a little bit. I know that you grew up in South Africa um, and you lived there until you were how old? Until I was 21. Okay. So you grew, you, your whole childhood was there. And do you remember what you like wanted to be when you were nine or what you aspired to? Clearly you didn't think about being like a chocolate factory man, right? But were you interested in business or art or I've met a lot of people who wanted to be vets on this, on the show, which. Yeah. Vets are very interesting. Um, My uncle (laughs) in law is a vet. Um, I (laughs) did not want to be a vet. I, when I was nine, I think I wanted to be a cross between Indiana Jones and um, (laughs) uh, Tony Hawk, probably. Okay. That, yeah. I mean, that's fitting. Yeah. So when you had like an actual thought about like what you wanted to be when you grew up, when you were maybe a little older than Indiana Jones age, what, what, what was the plan? Did you have a plan? Yeah. You know, I went to, um, I studied, uh, finance and economics and, um, my dad was an accountant. So he was sort of guiding me towards that path. Um, and I, yeah, that's what I thought I was going to do. The last couple of guests I met, it's so funny. The um, Sylvie's dad was a doctor, and so she was going to be a doctor. And you know, I mean, everyone just kind of, I think a lot of food entrepreneurs, specifically food entrepreneurs, kind of find it as almost a second life. You know, they they kind of do something that they're, they're supposed to do or they should do. And then they kind of wake up one morning and realize I actually don't want to be doing this anymore. Um, oh, yeah, completely. Which sounds a little bit like what happened to you. But what I find interesting is that I read something about you, you won a green card in a lottery. Is that what, is that a, a regular thing that happens in South Africa or what, what kind of lottery? I, yeah, it's, it's a lottery. I don't think it's that common. Uh, otherwise, they might have called it something else besides a lottery. <laughs> right. um, so, so it is. It is pretty rare. It's, uh, they do hand out um, globally. I believe there's fifty five thousand a year. Um, wow! And what you just put your name in because that was like. Were you planning on coming to the United States any other way, or? I, you know, I had a um, a really forward thinking um, mom. And uh, she applied for me when I was in high school because we I have some family here. And right. um, uh, one day I got back from high school, and she, uh, she was she says to me, "Hey, you you want a green card um, to go to the states?" And at that time, I was not interested at all. I was more interested in what was for lunch. Right. So I'm um, sure. But later on, you know, when I kind of got into um, uh, university and, and started to study and, and think about what I wanted to do more. I was in love with um, the idea of uh, either coming to New York or going to San Francisco. Right. So you landed in New York and you worked in finance for a few years in New York. Yes. Yes. 
And then you had that moment that so many people have where you kind of woke up and realized you hated your life or is that an exaggeration? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, maybe it kind of, ex- it's not, well, uh, I think that, um, yeah, I realized it wasn't for me. Right. So that that was, it was time to move on. Um, uh, at that stage, I think I was about 25. Um, right. I, was, I was quoting, I was calling it a quarter life crisis. Yes. Um, which makes sense. Uh, it totally makes sense. And then, um, I was also, a kind to trying to take a, a positive approach. So I was calling it a quarter. Then I, I switched over to calling it a quarter life privilege. Uh-huh. Um, yes, that's true and, too. Yeah. Um, uh, I know very accurate. Um, right. And um, funny enough, that was circa 2006, 2007. Um, right. Yeah. And I mean, chances are you might have had that crisis hoisted upon you a year or so later. Anyway, if you worked in finance in New York City and you were young on the totem pole. Um, So what were you always in the kitchen growing up or were you a food guy at all? Or did you kind of have that you quit your job, you were kind of padding around the kitchen and you decided to start making chocolate? Okay, I'm a I'm a total foodie. So in the sense that I was in the kitchen Yes, I was in the kitchen, but more to 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 eat, eat and to right. to commentate than um <laughs> than to make <laughs> to, 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 yeah to do any work, um, and then um uh you know when when I left finance, I sort of had this um uh I had a plan, you know okay. Because, um, what was the plan? <laughs> <laughs> okay, the plan was very nebulous. I'll, I'll yes. say yeah. um, it did have a timeline. Um, okay. I had I sort of uh, devised six months of um, finances out. I was like, all right, great, I've got six months of finances, and um, and uh, to to stretch that along, I ended up um, as one does when you uh, are not employed, you, you start making your own food. Right. Um, yes. <laughs> And um, uh, um, you know, gone gone with the lavish days of uh, uh, being out of restaurants and and living um, the high life of uh, a financial analyst, right. and in, into the the kitchen it was. Um, and I I just discovered this. Um, I mean, it's, it's just so much joy. There's so much satisfaction in in, yep. in making food and and creating and working with your hands and. Um, all of that jazz. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and so, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I think a lot of the people that listen to this podcast tend to be, I think, younger than me um, from my little research that I've done. And they're all sort of either having started or sort of starting to think about, you know, what they want to be doing. And should they go and start this thing that they've been thinking about? Um and, and for the most part, I don't know that a lot of people remember 2008, but, or at least, you know, remember it as an adult. Um, but it is kind of interesting to think about 2008 in the context of today, right? Because I think, you know, I always sort of, 
I always kind of wonder why certain guests are at certain times. And it, it, it's not always intentional, but I do think that there's something really cool about your story in the sense that, you know, life didn't go exactly the way you planned it. And while you chose to leave that career rather than it choosing to leave you, um, something really creative and beautiful came out of some destruction, right? And yeah. And so you might have been you might not have given this as much of a go if there wasn't sort of, you know, if jobs were hot and everyone had one and it was just, you know, the heyday. There's something kind of, I think, about the timing of all of this, which is really interesting. You know, I also opened Haven's Kitchen in 2012. Um, and I know that's when you moved into your first, like, big factory, um, and I don't even know that I realized at the time how much a product of sort of that recovery everyone was experiencing at that time and how much people started to realize that they were forced into making their own food starting in 2008, 2010, and they got back into sort of artisanal things and crafty things. But even when the economy started picking up again, they still wanted to be touching something that felt authentic. Um, and I think that's part of the chocolate story with you. Um, would you kind of agree? Oh, uh, 100, 110% agree. Right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, of the, the word authentic really jumped out at me there. And um, that's sort of um, what, what, what people go for um, when, um, when, when you sort of put in a situation that that's not normal um, right. and you need to find you need to find your north star again right. um, how do you do that well you you look for authenticity and relevance um, and all like you know the all the spam and the uh, noise everything yeah yeah just becomes so, so much more um, meaningless um, yep. and uh, things that are authentic become so much richer uh, right. And I think we're seeing that right now. I mean, it's not a coincidence that the world is making sourdough and, you know, people are making their own um, washcloths and, you know, I mean, <laughs> everyone, there's just this, people want to touch things that feel real. There is a sense of control that's been lost and, you know, making food and eating something where you know the story and you know the origins and you feel connected to it. I think does give people some sort of salve during, you know, times of uncertainty. And it's not like it's not always uncertain because it always is uncertain. It's just that I think when the economy's booming and all of these great startups are happening and there's content all over the place and everything's, you know, everyone's got Instagram, everything's, then it kind of like hides the fact that there's uncertainty. And then, you know, sometimes it just becomes very evident, like in this case. Um, so going back a little bit without getting too philosophical, when did you have your first sale? Like you were in the kitchen, you were puttering around, you were thinking about raw chocolate. This was still 2007. That's very early. Um, it wasn't the Brooklyn chocolate heyday yet. Um, and so when did you actually, that six month period was a time where you gave yourself to play a little bit, 
But when did you actually say, okay, wait a second, I actually am onto something here. And this is something that I might want to do as a career. Yeah. Um, so I spent, um, I spent a bunch of time traveling around and, and, and making food and I became a chef uh, and I was sort of this gypsy type chef. And uh, then I was, I was living in this um, classic old school Brooklyn artist loft with um, uh, a million roommates. And back then it was couch surfing and just uh, a really colorful community. Um, and um, uh I was I was making chocolate in my loft, um, uh-huh. and uh, uh, I would I would feed people chocolate, and and they would th- their minds would be blown. They were just you know this. Right, I, it was, I was real. It was real. It was just <laughs> yeah. like okay, this, this, these are this is cacao beans. They're raw. Um, no, I mean even now people don't even know what cacao beans look like. When I when I show them to people, they take a look at them and they go, are oh, those almonds? Right. Uh, like, no. Well, these if you've are ever good. watched Dora the Explorer, like I have with my children, I actually know what a cacao bean looks like just uh, from watching that show, which is, you know, neither here nor there. But I agree. They do look a lot like almonds. Sorry. No, go on. No, to- yep. totally. <laughs> so, um, I, had, I had an amazing amount of support. Uh, and uh, I think the pivotal moment was um, uh, when um, – uh, my parents came to visit me from South Africa and they, so they flew into um, uh, JFK and they, they, they came to my loft and I sat them down and um, um, I brought out some truffles out the fridge and at that time they were thinking, Daniel, you, you're a crazy person. Uh, right. <laughs> you had a great job and now you're making chocolate in your loft. Right. Um, you know, what's going on? So they tried the chocolate and absolutely loved it. They turned around and they go, okay. Wow. Something. You, you should do this. And so what happened between, because that was 2007 or 8? Like that was still pretty early or was that now a few years later? No, that, so that was 2007. Okay. Um, and so then what happened basically between 2007 and 2012 when you opened the first factory? Okay. So um, uh, I sold my first chocolate uh, December, early December, 2007 to a, a friend of mine, right. um, a bunch of my friends were, were just sort of helping me develop the concept and the branding. And, um, right. uh, I, I sold a truffle for, for, <laughs> for like $2 and 50 cents uh, yep. in, in quarters. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> yep. And then, um, uh, uh, brand officially launched, um, early 2008. Um, and you're still making it out of your apartment, which yeah, was yeah. pretty much not legal, but fine at the time. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, yeah uh, operating a little bit under the radar. Yeah. Um, um, New York was like that. It was very, you know, I think the reason why Brooklyn had the boom it did was just because, you know, people could do stuff and there was, you know, space to be creative and, I mean, Homa from White Mustache moved from California to Brooklyn because California was cracking down on her yogurt so much that she couldn't even make it. And she just came to New York and started making it instead. Thank goodness. Um, But so, so you were making it and you were selling it and did you, were you making like actual sales for the, I mean, you had to have been because some, you know, the business took off. 
yeah, it, it really, um, so the way that, the way that it works is that you, if you're doing things, um, organically, um, is that, you know, your, your, your friends are your first clients and they, they yes. support you cause they love you and, and they, they're, and they're also into what you're doing. Yeah. Um, then there were a couple um, interesting things that happened. Uh, there was a, um, a supper club, um, which also, like in 2008, the supper club concept yep. was sort of just taking off as well and um, being picked up by uh, big media channels like Condé Nasta. And um, one of the big supper clubs, one of the notorious supper clubs was my next door neighbor, Whisk and Ladle. Uh-huh, and, I remember. Um, yeah, so they... Um, we were good buddies and they, they came and they were like, Hey, can we use your chocolate in a, uh, one of our desserts? And I'm, of course, I'm like, for sure. No problem. Right, right, right. And they took the chocolate to, um, Bedford cheese shop up mm-hmm. the street yep. and said to them, we're doing a dinner. We want to pair this chocolate with, um, with a cheese. Uh, so they, they paired a chocolate and the guys at Bedford cheese shop go, Oh, I, tell this guy to come, um, right. to the Sell store. It. Yeah, yeah we, we want to carry his chocolate. Um, so uh, all this really amazing pollination of the brand started happening. Right. Um, and were you, did you have a website? I mean, Instagram did not exist at that point, I remember. So yeah. did you have a website or um, were, yeah, it was I, just I, word of mouth? Or? It, was, it was just word of mouth. Um, right. I, I had a landing page, um, right. which was, yeah, I mean. Right. Amazing. Yeah. um, So Bedford Cheese Shop was your first like wholesale client. Yes. um, They were. And then how did it grow from there? Um, So uh, after that, I think that the other um, big thing was joining the uh, Brooklyn Flea. So, uh, you know, when Mm -hmm. the Brooklyn Flea first started out, I was like, all right, how, you know, how am I going to sell chocolate? What what am I going to do here? Um, uh, and I went to the Brooklyn Flea, and it was, you know, it was such a great vibe. Brooklyn Flea yeah. was, uh, it was really a, a moment in time. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, it still is such a phenomena, Schmorgesberg and the works. Um, and it was kind of like uh, me at the Brooklyn Flea, um, McClure's Pickles to the yep. left of me, Moth Brothers to the right of me, um, we're all looking at each other like, what the hell are you people doing? Right. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell are you people doing? Um, and right, because Mast was right on that street with Kula. Like, they were right around the corner from Bedford Cheese also. Yeah, 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 uh, totally. Um, right. And so uh, that was such a great way to get in front of people um, right. and um, just to s- slowly start getting a feel for what it is to uh, uh, incubate a, a brand and to, right. and, to, and to share your product with people. Um, uh, and then from there, you know, I was on, I was on my bicycle going out to, to different stores and they were very carefully chosen stores, right. um, stores that I wanted to work with, um, yeah. that, that I, like I loved what they were doing. Um, uh, not, not too much unlike Bedford cheese shop, um, right. with, within their categories, very well curated, well thought out so, well, authenticity. Um, right. uh, 
and um, that's yeah, that, that that's kind of the origins of right. of the brand. And then in 2012, obviously, you had saved enough and made enough and felt strongly enough about the business to open a factory. Um, yeah. And was that is that the factory that you just moved out of? In March, were you there from 2012 until this year? We were, yeah. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. And was that was the plan there just to make chocolate, or was it? You know, I feel like you do have events there. Also, was it to show people how to make chocolate? Was it just to have parties to pay the rent? Like, what was the sort of business plan behind the factory, other than making chocolate to fill accounts? Um, I'm so glad you went to the parties and the events. Um, cause that was definitely part of the, the grand vision. Um, right. Make chocolate by day, party at night. Right. Um, <laughs> and, well, the, um, you know, there's. It's so funny because whenever I talk to like entrepreneurship classes, you know, and I don't, I don't, I don't honestly know what's going to happen to New York retail. Obviously, nobody does, but before this whole thing kind of happened, I would always say, if you want to open a bakery, great, open a bakery, but you still have all those other hours of rent that you're paying. So make it a disco, make it a library, you know, make it just, just, you know, you're, if you're only using some of the day to earn money, but you're paying for the whole day, it's not a bad idea to try to make the whole day make some money. Um, you know, I guess if you are making enough in those six hours to cover, but most, most of us need many different sort of channels of revenue to make, to make these things work. Um, so that was the vision, make chocolate by day, party by night. Did you, did you open it? Like, were people able to come see the chocolate being made? Was that part of the, the vibe or no? Oh yeah, completely. The- right. The entire factory um, was glass and open plan, so you could you could come in. We we had a small um, uh, cafe in the front, so you could come in, get a hot chocolate or an espresso and a truffle. Um, there was the glass. You look right into um, the factory. You could see everything going on. Um, yeah, it was a, a ma- like a truly a magical space um, and. You would come in, the the whole place would smell like you just walked into in, in you're, like you're you're inside a giant chocolate brownie that just came out of the oven. Um, yeah, no, that's. And it would transport you somewhere else. Just the you know all the the sensory aspects of it. Um, uh, yeah, very 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 special space. Um, and were you just because now I'm trying to get an idea? So you were selling. Were you selling directly? You were selling at the store, obviously, but were you selling online or not? Not yet, like not through. The- oh yeah, no, we were selling online. Okay. Um, and um, actually, uh, going back to my first uh, website uh, with the landing page, it had one. It had two pages, basically, a landing page and then a buy page. Uh, Two thousand and eight, and I put in some very bizarre shop plug-in back in those days where you know like i found some like very very simple solution that i could i could plug in right Um, and then i think in 2008 um there was a front page of the dining section 
um, in the New York Times, there was a, a mugshot of like 12 Brooklyn food makers. Yeah. Um, and, and like uh, that, that to me, that was the pivotal, that was the turning moment for um, artisan food yeah. in the U.S., particularly in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. Yeah. And um, that day, um, like, okay, so my, so my mug was on the front cover along with these 12 other characters. Right. Um, and we were mentioned on page six in one little line. And um, I, we got about 109 orders that day. Yeah. I, I, like, I had never seen anything like that. Like, yeah. so powerful. And um, that was totally amazing. Yeah, amazing. So we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what the last eight years has been like and what the future looks like. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Square. As a small business owner, I know how challenging this time is for all of us. Many of my restaurant friends are pivoting into businesses we never planned on. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is Square Online Store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery, so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all of your incoming orders in one place no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers, no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash in the sauce. I'm back with Daniel Sklar, founder of Fine and Raw Chocolate. Okay, so you were, it's, it's so interesting to me because we had the same... I mean, we, I opened Havens in 2012 and it was, it was a magical space. Um, and for people that just want to create a place that sort of envelops other people in happiness, you know, and deliciousness, there's like nothing more satisfying. Um, so at the time you were selling to some stores, you were selling directly, were the parties you know, like in our case, we host weddings and private events. They're not my parties. They they are a significant source of revenue for that business. Were they, did you think of them that way? Like, were you having only parties for, for that were brand oriented or were you having, were you renting it out as just like an event space for people who wanted to have events there? Well, the majority was brand oriented. Um, right. You know, uh, I basically, I, I mean, I try and only get involved in projects that I, you know, I, that I feel. Um, right. uh, we did, we did a lot of experimentation though. We, you know, we, we did everything from, um, art exhibits to, to yoga classes, to, to social networking, um, right. events. Um, um, the majority of it though was brand focused. Got it. And so that was sort of the, that worked. Um, and then a big part of the business seems to be the partnerships. One of the things that really does stand out about you and Fine and Raw is that the packaging, I, it seems like you can just, tomorrow, if I wanted to make 
something, you would just be able to make it. I don't know. I don't <laughs> Maybe that's just how it feels, but it just feels like you're very flexible and you're very amenable to partnerships and working with other brands that represent them and you, but, but primarily them. Um, which I think a lot of brands are very much like, no, this is my brand and I can do like for you or X you, but I don't know. It's, it feels like you're, you're just much more open to those partnerships. Um, yeah. yeah. How did that come about? Um, uh, we are, we are, uh, thank you. That, that's a really nice compliment. Um, I, I, uh, that is something that we have always tried to, to do, um, uh, develop really good partnerships with people. Um, uh, we are, we're super flexible, um, and, um, we, you know, we can turn on a dime. Um, right. and I think that, uh, I mean, you have to play to your strengths, right? Like you have yeah. to realize what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. Um, I uh, love tinkering around with design. Uh, and so I get involved uh, in, in design aspects as much as possible. Uh, so, so it's, you know, the, the fewer people that are involved in a project, the, generally the quicker the project Absolutely. goes. Absolutely, yep. Um, so if it's just me and... Um, uh, Ralph Lauren or, um, or juice press or rag and bone or right. whoever it is. And, and I'm just, I'm working directly with the designer and they're like, Hey, let's do this. And I'm like, sure. Cool. Like mm -hmm. throw that together. Um, send it right back. I don't, you know, I don't have to send it to someone. Right. And have a boardroom of eight people sit around. You yeah. Know, yeah. Nodding. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, um, uh, also it's the, the partnerships are, they creative and it's so fun to kind of get away from your usual production and, and yep. do something that spices it up a bit. Um, well, I have a question about that, right? Because do you, if I were, you know, if I was Ralph and I was like, hi, Daniel, I want to make a chocolate inspired by my new, you know, spring collection. Would you actually work on a flavor together and do a limited run of it specifically, or would it be more like we'll take this but change the packaging, or yeah. does it depend? Um, I, I, we have done um, custom flavors. Uh, it's, it's something that I, I try and um, not do, though. Yeah, it's hard, um, right? I mean, inventory-wise yeah. and line time and all of that. Yeah, no, it's it's. Uh, the logistics are um, are crazy, and then um, also it just uh, e even from a creative point of view, the, the more creative decisions that have to get made, yeah. the slower the process, yeah. um, the the less chance you you get of taking it to the finish line, um, and and flavor in particular is such a is, is such a personal thing. Yeah, um, it can be a yeah, it's such a hurdle to to get over. Um, uh, and, um, that, you know, we, we do do a bunch of flavors, um, for people we've done, um, and, and we still do, uh, you know, we work with, uh, uh, Grim Ales, we've done, um, a bunch of, uh, beer truffles for them, right. and a bunch of, um, chocolate, right. um, yeah. It makes more sense if they're coming at it with an ingredient or with something specific that they're, you know. Yeah, like they're you, contributing to it, right? Right, right, yeah. Um, so true. 
So once you moved in, so sort of after 2012, you know, Brooklyn Chocolate, obviously there, you know, there were others. Some of them have had more success than others. Um, And it was kind of like this peak Brooklyn foodie thing. But you're still thriving and it's still going great. And you just moved to a bigger facility. So what part of the business would you say, whether this was intended or sort of a surprise to you, what part of the business kind of carried the other parts? Like what, what was the thing that kept you growing and reaching new people, you know, because, because it feels to me in a way like a lot of the other sort of Brooklyn chocolate brands have gotten quieter since 2012, but it feels like you've gotten louder. Um, yeah, we're, we're pretty slow and steady. Right. Um, and, um, I think, uh, a, a lot of other brands kind of, um, come off the blocks racing. Yep. Um, and, um, uh, and then there's, there's a whole conversation about, um, uh, money. money. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Like do you take investment and then just go crazy or get mad desperate or just like, who knows that, right. but throw rationality out the window as soon as you, st- you step into that whole equity right. arena, you know? So, um, uh, Which leads to the question that have you grown it organically or have you had investors and raised outside money? And if you have, I'm assuming it's more just friends and family rather than like institutional venture backed kind of things like that. Yeah. Uh, right now I'm 100% owner of Fine and Roll. Wow. Um, which, which is, yeah, no, like just amazing. A, a, a modern miracle, I would yeah. say. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, I've, uh, I'm quite, um, uh, I, I, I use debt a lot. Um, right. I, I have, I've built up really great relationships with, um, with banks. Yeah. Um, I also have, um, really good relationships with, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's so many ways to finance things. Yeah. Um, uh, as long as you're patient. So I think let's talk about that a little bit, because I think this is actually really going to help founders because, um, you know, the, the zeitgeist for the last several years has been, you know, you have a, you have a nugget of a business, you know, there's been venture money, a lot of it that kind of moved out of tech and into food and consumer. And a lot of people sort of willing to, give you money to sort of make your dream come true. But obviously in exchange for that, they're taking a, you know, a percentage of the business. Um, And that is appealing. I think in a way it's also, you know, frankly, it's kind of hard for a new business with a great idea to just go and get, you know, raise debt. So they end up going to the venture funds and, and, you know, they're more willing to take a bet a little bit because that's their business model as opposed to a bank whose business model it isn't. But when you talk about ways to raise money, you know, it things might not be so easy um, in the next couple of years. 
for, you know, for people who are looking for venture money, private equity firms, et cetera, they're all sort of slowing down and valuations are changing. So it's not going to be as easy. Um, so you've built it very organically and, you know, very step-by-step. Um, so tell me a little bit about the debt process. You know, how, how do you go about it? Do you have different loans with different banks? Do you like lines of credit? Do you personally back them? Do you know how, just a little primer on debt versus equity. Um, so I also want to mention that um, there's, there are ways to finance things that don't, that you wouldn't actually realize are financing. Um, so, so for instance, um, when I first started making chocolate, uh, we, we were making um, chocolate with a, with a, it, what would be considered a co-packer. Um, right. An amazing, totally amazing man, um, Michael Rogak. He is salt of the earth, runs a company called Joe Mark Chocolate in um, downtown mm-hmm. Brooklyn. Uh, this dude is so Brooklyn. Like you don't you don't get any but like and hot of gold right. um and uh, we were making chocolate together i i would come in i would i um would, i source all the ingredients um i bought i bought a lot of the machinery um i uh i oversaw a lot of the training the techniques the development so so right. not not like a classic co-packer relationship where, where it's like a black box, you know, very, very right. much involved. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, you were paying them for labor to make it as yeah. opposed to doing it on your own. Right. Exactly. And then, so, right. so it's an, ex, it's actually, it's a, look, it's an expensive way to produce. Right. Um, but it's uh, a lot cheaper than equity or debt. Right. Um, and then, okay, so now um, the, the other fancy thing to say here is that uh, expensive debt is cheap equity. Um, uh, and um, that's something some, I had a, you know, you get involved in real estate because you, you're renting and doing all these things. And, and uh, this like really savvy New York um, real estate dude told me that once and I was like, uh, what, like, what does that actually mean? Meaning that even if your even if your loan has like a twelve percent interest rate, at the end of the day, it's still better than giving away X percent of your company. Yeah, d- uh, definitely. Um, right. And then um, uh, it it's so much easier to do things. Well, uh, wow, so this is a it's a tricky line to walk. It's a, <laughs> it's a tightrope because um, it's. Uh, you know, I w- the people who um, who who I bounce ideas off and mentor me and, and guide me through things have always have always been like, you know, don't don't get into partnerships, right? Um, do, do it alone, uh, um, and um, and that's so that's what I've done, um, and uh, I I do um, I actually um, I'm involved in another business right now, um, uh, you know, I have like a a bit of a side hustle and I have a partner there uh-huh. and um and now and now that I have that reference point and I'm working in a, in a, a partnership uh, I, I kind of understand 
okay, so this is what it this is what it feels like to have right. to negotiate through decisions. Right. Um, well, you were saying you don't even need someone else in the room. You know, to to you in a way, it feels like it's just creating static. You know, if the idea is there and two people are on, you know, either side, you can just bang it out and you can make a new chocolate flavor. You can make a new package. You can, but when you bring more people into the equation, there's more that needs to be discussed. And there's, you know, people who are slower maybe to move. And that's all, you know, that adds weight almost to the decision making process. In some cases, it's good because it, yeah. you know, they think of things that you don't and they maybe analyze things a little bit differently than you do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it can be an adjustment to have another brain that has equal say. Completely. Yeah. And it could, it, could, it could work out much better, yeah. potentially. Um, uh, definitely, potentially much faster. Yeah. Um, um, it's always, you know, double-edged sword, but potentially faster, potentially better, but, but the downside seems much worse as well. Yeah. So, um, so you've moved into this new factory, um, and did you just grow out of the other one or, you know, what's the plan for this new facility? Yeah. Uh, we were busting at the seams there. Right. Um, we, we probably, I mean, we've been trying to move for about two and a half years, um, Real estate moves at um, a geological rock pace, (laughs) like watching mountains move. (laughs) So, um, the the concept that we have right now is exactly the same as what we had previously, just um, way more refined. Um, Right. We it's it's, you you come in. It's all it's it's all it's all glass. You, You you can actually now walk halfway into the factory and you feel like you're immersed in, in the production space. And right, can, that's very yeah. cool. Yeah, it's super cool. The space is, um, it's got like 20 feet high ceilings and it, the, there's skylights all over the place, so it's really well lit. The ambience is, is incredible. Um, it is um, on, the, on the border of the, the real industrial area of Bushwick. Right. Um, and um, the, the semi-industrial area of Bushwick, which mm-hmm. is, which also has its such a, um, electric energy. Yeah. Uh, the, the creativity here, you just you, you like get get a sense for it on the streets. I think. Yeah. Yeah, that, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, you know, I'm really excited for people to um, uh, come to and come. yeah, come and come and see it and experience it and. Uh, just in, just enjoy the space and um, so you're going to keep doing what you're doing. You're going to yeah. keep selling directly. Are you opening more accounts with stores? Like, are you trying to? Chocolate tends to be a little bit regional. Are you thinking you want to be available nationally? Are you, you know, or is it more like in specialty shops? Um, we, we're kind of, you know, so Fine and Roll is a premium brand, right? Um, so you're going to find us in specialty shops and um, uh, there, are, there are a few grocery stores that, that you'll see us in, like Whole Foods and right. um, uh, Awan and Lessings and um, right. like higher end grocery. Um, right, natural. 
Yeah, natural. Um, uh, I would. I mean, right now, um, the business has moved online. Right. Um, that's. This is the. the this yep. is the world right yes. now. Um, I know. I saw your spread, like the chocolate hazelnut spread. Um, so I'll be purchasing that in oh, about yeah. an hour. Oh, that's. Um, <laughs> All right, so I have to finish up because Matt, you know, starts to give me an eyebrow through the glass. And even though I'm at home and he's at his house, I can still see his face, um, which is a little disturbing, but uh, in a good way, Matt. Um, <laughs> so last question, I guess. Uh, what do you wish you had known when you started all of this? And sort of as part of that, what do you think is your best advice to founders and future founders who have a dream and just want to make people happy? Uh, what happens? I wish I had known. Um, uh, that um, the, the people that you work with um, and your, your crew are uh, the, the the most important people. Um, uh, yes, yeah, that's the your the lifeblood, the soul of everything. Um, and then um, uh, the second question was best advice. Oh, I mean, it advice. could be build a great team. <laughs> oh yeah, no, build a great, it definitely that I uh, I think that. Um, Best advice is just um, uh, like uh, be okay with making mistakes. Um, yeah, and um, and and be, you know be be lighthearted about it. Just be, just just be ready to bounce. Yep. Well, Daniel, it was really nice talking to you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Congratulations on the new factory. And as soon as we're allowed to. Um, hopefully I'll get to come and take a tour. I know there's nothing more fun than literally visiting a chocolate factory. Um, Matt, thank you so much for engineering from afar. Daniel, thank you again for coming thank on. You. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you guys so much. And um, I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.